0: Oh ho oh, oh. ho!
1: It's Phone Booth Fighting. Myself, Richard Hunter, and the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Frank Mir. We do this podcast twice weekly. Go to phoneboothfighting.com for all the details to find out when episodes drop. Click on our Amazon banner to do your online shopping. Buy your official Phone Booth Fighting merchandise at phoneboothfighting.com. Uh, also support our fine sponsors, promo codes on the sponsors page. More on that later. If I sound like I'm rushing through this, I am, because we have a lot to get to at the top of the show. First of all, I am sitting in a hotel room on the Las Vegas Strip with comedian extraordinaire Sam Tripoli. Sam and I just uh, had the pleasure of working together yes, last night. Yes, we did night. a
0: show. We rocked all 30 of those people.
1: All 30 of them at the L.A. Comedy Club. But joining us from Manchester, England once again this week, is my co-host Frank Mir, and today he happens to have a buddy with him. I recognize this man as uh, Herb Dean. Hey, Herb, how you doing, man? I'm
2: doing well. How about yourself? Uh,
1: good. It's good to see you again, and uh, cool that you're over there. I guess you're over there, obviously, reffing ACB uh, that Frank's doing the commentary on tomorrow, right?
2: Yeah, yes, I am. I'm excited about it, man. It's, I think they're going to have a lot of fights, like 25 fights. 25 24 26, fights. as far as I can.
0: 20,
3: yeah,
1: uh-huh. 26 fights and uh i don't know if they gave you the news yet herb but you're doing 22 of them uh, that sounds like a long day that might not end up being a
3: joke
2: man oh hey, this, you know that's that's nothing i haven't done before many times with king of the cage and gladiator challenge back in the
1: day yeah
2: and a few of the other shows uh refereeing fights uh you know man, yeah yeah the, it won't be the first time what do, what do you think you know, i wanted to bitch about the amount of fights
3: Saying, I'm like, come on, guys. How am I supposed to keep my energy up for 26 fights? That's and then a I find lot. out Herb's out there. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Now nah,
2: I sound like I'm in a mean week. <laughs> but they sound like nice guys. I bet you they'll bring me a sandwich or something like yeah. that or something to keep the energy up, you know? They don't yeah. do any interviews between rounds, man. Now, here's oh. the only problem with that, Herb. <laughs> I well, here's the only yeah, so problem. Yes.
1: The only problem with that, Herb, I don't know if you know ACB's slogan about, uh, uh what is it, more, what is it, Frank, like more fighting, less? Yep.
3: More fight, less talk. Yeah, okay, so more fight, less <laughs> okay. talk. So
1: here's what I'm thinking, Herb, they may bring you a sandwich, but you may have to eat it like during one of the rounds. So. Could, you, could you eat a sandwich and ref at the same time?
2: Right, I could do that. You know, Chuck Liddell. He refereed one of my me at a grappling tournament yeah. back, like in the nineties, and he was eating a sandwich at the same time. So he's <laughs> refereeing me in the bed, like leaning out like this. So he was leaning out so he wasn't getting on his
3: shirt. You know. No, That's actually, a- because when I found that out, knowing that we'd probably be commentating for six hours straight, I've actually, I'm being serious. I've uh, inquired about a catheter.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh well I guess uh, the upside is that's a potential new sponsor for the show Frank yes. so uh, always, right? yeah, right? always be closing. thinking
0: always be close older age
1: group Now Herb uh it's it's uh, interesting that you joined us cuz cuz right before uh we we logged on with you guys via FaceTime I was sitting here in Sam's hotel room and Frank said you know hey I need a few minutes I'm I'm talking to Herb Dean and Sam said, hey, I want to sign up for Herb's uh, refereeing
0: course. Yeah, I've looked into it.
1: I've heard you talk about this before, Herb. Tell everybody about this for those who don't know this this course you put on and, and how people can take it.
0: Oh, it's, it's a
2: really cool thing. Um, what I do, it's, a, it's an ABC-recognized course. And so that uh, the course is recognized throughout the United States and throughout the world, um, most places that MMA is done. Uh, and the course is going to be three days. Uh, judging is done the first day, and then there's things that pertain to judging and refereeing. That's all done on the first day. Then the second day is um, a referee-specific day. The third day is I have a practical. I just like it if the judges take it, but it's not mandatory for the judges, but it is for the referee. On that day, we do live sparring. We have a, uh, uh, I have a bunch of guys come out spar. We have a gym set up. We have a long day of Doing a bunch of scenarios and whatnot that may happen. I used to have it culminate in a live event, but I found that I don't like doing that anymore. I would get guys in there, and everything would seem great in the classroom. The person might be a legend in the sport of MMA, and then when the fight starts, I mean, they're starting fights with the cage door open, all kinds
1: of oh, things. Right.
2: Oh. It's good. It's good to do the practical and then guys can get a little – it's just one more step before they get actually get in there with people's careers and safety on their lives.
0: And you can get certified, right? If By the end you of it, if you certified. do well, you get certified.
2: You get a certification if you pass. Yes. yes.
1: How What's the what's the pass-fail rate, Herb? Are you a tough
2: professor? Uh, it, it varies. You know, I've, I've had times where – I mean, when I first started doing it, it was uh, about 90% fail rate. Yeah, okay. Uh, what but, was it? Uh, guys have gotten better. It was a ninety percent fail rate at first, but now guys have gotten better. I've had courses where almost everyone passed, but that's different areas. Uh, the last course, I think, I, I think it was more. Um, what? How many guys did I have passed? It was. It was closer to thirty percent. Yeah. But a lot of times, people. Um, you know, one of the things that, that catches people up is I ask them to uh, demonstrate mixed martial arts technique, mm-hmm. which I think is important for someone to understand the techniques and be interested in the sport that they want to officiate in. They're making decisions on people's career, to say the least, and people's health, to say the most. So uh, we just want them to be familiar with the techniques that the guys are using as a, as a referee to keep them safe, as a judge, so they can evaluate it, because... The bottom line, as a judge, you're evaluating the failure. So if you don't recognize the details of the technique of the choke and why that guy got out of it, you don't know how much credit to give him because you don't know how close it was if, if, you, don't, if you don't participate. So that's what, one of the things. That
0: can what, what is the biggest mistake people tend to make? Is it that they don't know? I mean, you just said they, they got to no know technique, but is there one thing that people go in to the course and then they don't realize that? that might affect them in the, in the long run? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the biggest mistake?
2: Well, there's that, and then um, I, I
3: sent him a uh, – I don't think they heard what I said. Uh, oh, oh, you answered me, but I don't know if they heard. I said that I would think that how much the referee has to move. Because think about it. He has to be constantly positioning himself in the most proper area relative to the two fighters so that if something were to occur and they were to get hurt, we can not only see it and identify it, but be close enough to react to it. So I think a lot of times we forget, especially the better the referee, the more we forget about them because they don't really put themselves into fight. But the referee, when you see guys running up and down the cage or moving around an explosive double, they're constantly having to move into position, right, to be in the, you know, to be able to assist in case of a you know a flash knockdown and they got to jump on somebody, a quick submission, you know, and also be in a, in a position to see what's occurring, right. I would think that people really underestimate how alert
2: and much movement you guys have to use during the... Uh, yeah, you're uh, absolutely right. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make with refereeing is position. Because the bottom line, if you're not in position, you're not going to see what happens. And so you're going to have to adjust your position by your experience because you, after all the hundreds and thousands of fights you've seen, this is the, because you're not going to be able to see everything. Right. Yeah. You can't be 360. So you're going to have to place yourself in the position where the majority of things are going to happen. And you're always and you have guys who move a lot. It's a lot of work maintaining that position. Sometimes you get a little lax, or sometimes you know, and then you might and they might move and they put you in a bad position, and then that's when everything happens. And you're like, okay, what am I going to do now? So yeah, he's absolutely right. A lot of running to make sure you're maintaining a maintain a position where you can see things. The other thing is, you need to be in a position to be able to intervene. You got to yeah. be in a good position for your intervention once you've seen something. And then also, you have to be in a position where you're not going to be in the way of the fighters. Or let's say a guy's doing an escape. I've seen fighters take a beating because the referee is in his main escape route. And he doesn't think to tell him, hey, move out the way. He just takes the beating, you know. So, also, you want to be in a place where you're not interfering with what's happening with the guys. Now, her, so that is, is a really big mistake.
1: Is there also – because what I'm imagining is, on the one hand, you want everybody to be in a you know prime position to intervene, but I would guess that that has to be balanced against not looking uh, like you're spazzing out in there and uh, kind of running around too much and wasting energy. Like I'll bet some guys uh, maybe get so wound up, they end up uh, looking like uh, you know maybe they're expending too much energy in there. Is that
2: possible? That would be better, better than the other you're one, You're right? absolutely right, though. So, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, that, that yeah, it's definitely better than the other way. But you no, know, you don't. I think want I'd rather the, have that referee. But you know, the guy who's just chilling out, kind of like of physical trying yeah. to make sure everybody can see well, right? Right. Well, you want, you want you want you want at the same time the guys who are spazzed out and over intense. I think they give it a, a, a sense to the fighters and to the crowd that they're nervous about what's going on and that mm-hmm. they may not uh, be in control of the situation. And I've, I've noticed that you know you have a guy who's really intense and overly. Uh, the bottom line is you, you don't want to be noticed until it's time for you to do your job. Yes. And if you're really that, intense and over spazzing, then, then people are starting to focus on you and they're starting to wonder about you. And you don't want yeah. to. I have a question for you that, now that I have an opportunity to ask you. How
3: do you guys make that? And this might be something that's already known, but I personally don't know it. A foul Someone jabs forward. They get that poke in the eye. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't. And you see the other guy react. I've seen at times where referees, for example, like uh, the uh, Mustafa Al Turk versus uh, uh, Miracle Prokop, he got jabbed in the eye. He turned around, but the referee didn't stop it and didn't deem that it was, I guess, worthy. How do you guys make that decision? Like, do you have
2: to see it, or do you kind of? Is it a? Um, situation by situation type of uh, thing. Well, I think it is okay. First of all, you're not supposed to call something you didn't see. Uh, now, there's a lot to see in it. Like maybe you might see fingers being out or knowing uh, you see the way the guy reacts. But a lot of times, guys react when they've been punched in the eye with a fair blow because it hurts and they believe they've been poked. They're not trying to. They're not trying to pull a fast one over. They just had something happen to their eye and they think they got poked in the eye when it was actually a fair blow. You don't want to stop the action there because then you take taking momentum away from someone who just hurt his opponent with a fair blow. So if you don't see it, you don't call it really? You, should, you shouldn't call it. And if you do call it, some guys have called it. I guess your only recourse would be thinking the guy is faking an injury but you're not supposed to call things if you don't see it and that's the reason why we're always trying to be in
1: position so you're not you're not supposed to call something you don't see herb i can i can already see donald trump would have a hard time passing this course Um, now let me let me ask you this. Now, you say it's a 3-day course, right? Now what mm-hmm. what day of the course do we work on our uh, catchphrases? You know where we have a you know where we start the fight and we're like let's come on, on come on bring it on come on go to war. Let's let's, let's, let's go. Okay, two we, comedians right Yeah on the yeah, yeah we
2: work, we work on that we work on that on, on day 2. Oh okay. And, perfect, uh, I, I have perfect. a panel I have a panelist of uh, people with really good catchphrases. Who come in and evaluate the phrases? They ah. send it through a five-point inspection. <laughs> I love it. It's
0: really brutal because I some people it.
2: aren't ready for that rejection, right? When you say, "Hey, man, your your page is crap." Oh, yeah, I respect that. Wrong, that. But, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, so yeah, no. it's inclusive. We include everything. Okay. We include tying your shoes. Yes. Oh, all, all oh. I like Perfect. it now. now, do, we,
3: now do we? I think we should find out the next time that. Uh... Go ahead, Frank. Hello. Sorry, man. No, I'm saying and hey, uh, maybe we should find out the next time. Are you going to have a one in Vegas?
2: You know, I've never did one in Vegas. I, I, um, I, I would consider it. I use. i thought about it, but I never maybe. Uh, the I think that for you and I, better to be better uh, understanding
3: of the sport and you know more well-rounded. I think you and I should sign up for it.
1: Oh, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, I I think what we should do, Frank, is uh, you and I should get behind maybe uh, trying to promote one for Herb in, in Las Vegas, and then the 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 greatest outcome would be if I passed it and you failed it.
0: That would be hilarious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would actually
0: be. Uh, Epic. <laughs> you know how to fight, but not how to judge a fight or ref a fight.
1: I would love that. And no, that that sounds like a lot fun. Now, do people normally uh you do these in California then, right, Herb?
2: I usually do them I usually do them in California at the Fight Academy in okay. Pasadena, California.
1: Okay, and then is there a uh, website then, website that people go yeah, to how they, they find can go to
2: Herb Dean. Dot, they go to Herbdean.com. Okay. Uh, now to be honest with you guys. I haven't updated the dates okay. because I just decided to do this date. Yeah. So then go to Herbbean.com. All the information is there. And then I'll be updating the date next week when I come back. Okay. Let them know that it's going to be uh, the weekend of July 1st. So that's June 30th. July first and July
1: second. Now the thing is, uh, I'm I'm really interested in taking this course, but I, I think I disclosed to you the last time I saw you, Herb. I got burned on uh, one of these before I signed up for Adelaide Bird's uh, three day camp, and I was just disappointed. Uh, you 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 promise uh, a more extensive uh, education, right?
2: Uh, well, we I think I do a couple of other things. I have talked to Adelaide about her course. Okay. And um, what Adelaide. What Adelaide does have to offer is um, Adelaide Bird really does have a course. Shut up, dude. I'm taking it. I'm going to go see her. (laughs) I I think I'm going to take it next time. When she does, because one thing is Adelaide Bird has, one thing for the judges, I'll tell you something. The judges, um, whatever their background is, this and that, there's one thing we can't take away from them. They're in that hot seat for some really high profile matches where the world is going to nitpick everything they've done and so Adelaide has that experience of being in there for all that Uh, and uh that's something you gotta say something for that you
0: know guys uh, as an outsider you know i'm not a ref or a ufc heavyweight champion have you ever seen, wrapped or been in the octagon uh or the area of combat saw the fight one way and then maybe went back and watched it you know, and replay and be like, wow, it looks totally different. It was a, I could see how different people would think there was a different outcome than what we saw up close or ringside. You know, I, I have,
2: I have uh, had that happen. We're in a fight that I watched uh, ringside and I thought that the round went one way. Then I went back and I remember using it for my, wanted to use it for my course. I went back and I looked at it. The round went a different way. Uh, an old round, Hughes Verissimo. Uh Hughes Verissimo the first round I thought that Verissimo won. The second round I thought it was really close. I thought Verissimo won that round too. But when I went back and watched it, I think Matt Hughes won that second round. A lot of people think Verissimo won it. But uh that was a round I was just watching it, you know. Wow. I wasn't in the cage. You watch you remember that fight?
0: I do remember that fight. I, I, I've been cage side and I've watched on television and it's like there's a lot more when you're in the arena, either in yeah. uh, even though I've never been in the octagon during a fight. But, I, you know, I used to sit behind Rogan at fights and the sound of the hits, you know, the the crowd influencing stuff. Do, do you stuff. remember
2: it well enough to have an opinion? Uh, do you not remember well enough to have an opinion. That
0: particular a fight, long time ago. That particular fight. No, I do remember that fight though, but not to have a particular. But I, I, have been Cade's side and felt like the energy of the room versus watching it at home. I could see how stuff going on in the arena and and, and right next to either in the octagon next to it could affect how you feel the fight went. You know. You know. Or also you,
2: from from the other side, like the judges. One judge, um, like there, there could be, um. There's been situations where as a referee or as a watching it from the side, I can't see how effective somebody's ground and pound is. Like just the other night, um, Mark Goddard stopped the, um, uh, a fight where a guy was in a crucifix and he was in there. And he saw the guy's arm go limp while he was in the crucifix. And that's not something that I was able to see from my angle. Oh, you right. see on. somebody in a crucifix and they're taking enough damage for their arm to go limp then it's obviously time to stop the fight, you
1: know? Yeah, that's a, th- th- that's a particularly precarious situation because I, I guess the only way you're going to get a tap that way, Herb, is if there's a verbal one or uh, if somebody can tap with their feet or something, right?
2: Yeah, and, and, and then on top of it, they're going limp. So. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. Now now, Herb, I, I do want to ask you, uh, uh, while we still have you here for a second, about your thoughts on uh, the, the new rules. Because, you know, I was I was covering uh, UFC 209 last weekend. Of course, we don't have those rules in Las Vegas yet. And there was that, uh, that 10-8 round uh, in the Wonderboy-Woodley uh, fight. And I, I sort of brought up at the press conference, you know, hey, if this had been the new rules, uh, and something like that would have been maybe more prevalent, this type of 10-8 round. How do you guys uh, feel about it? Because Frank and I were talking about, just to use an example, Frank and I were talking about how in the first Woodley-Wonderboy fight, Woodley probably could have benefited from those new rules. Maybe his first round would have been like a 10-8 round, but at the same time, maybe we see the negative side of it. What is exactly that
0: rule that you're thinking that would have affected it? Uh, because
1: he would have had a ten under the new more liberal interpretation of the rules. He probably would have had a ten eight round just by the fact that he controlled the fight on the ground. Um, and, and the, uh, Bob Bennett was telling us at the press conference, Herb, that, uh, he sees these new rules coming to Nevada eventually. What are your thoughts on the implementation of them so far?
2: Well, you know what? Um, I I think it's a really important thing. Those new rules, uh, they, uh, First of all, we're just talking about the judging because there's a lot of rules. And even just that 10-8, how it moves at 10-8, there's a lot of wording that's, that's involved there. You know, there's – whereas before, you know, you would talk about would somebody uh, have an effect on their opponent, did someone dominate their opponent, and what their duration. You need to have all three of those to get a 10-8 round. Now it says if you have two, you may consider. And also people are – I think people do consider from just one. And so – uh, you know, and that, and, and it, uh, there's rounds that I've, since that has happened, there's rounds that I've seen experienced judges give a 10-8 where I didn't feel it was a 10-8. But if I look at that criteria, it met the criteria. The guy dominated the position, and he did it for quite some time. And under that new ruling, it is a 10-8. So I think there's, I think with this new thing, I think it's going to take... Um, I think the only way to really get everyone on the same page is to have example rounds, more like a casebook type of approach. And to have yeah. example rounds and have people say this, we're deciding this round is one type of a 10-8. And then have people be able to, and I think it's going to take a lot That's of training, and to have people yeah. able to draw from that, you know, and... Why don't they do that? That's an well, awesome that's, idea. Well, that's the way we try to do it, but I think it's going to take a lot of because because when I do these trainings, I try to pick out rounds. They're going to be a casebook round, and there's so many different types of of a regular round, like a 10-8 or a 10-9, and then now we're going to move it. It's going to take a lot more rounds. And so I think that when it comes down to it, I think it will take uh, maybe a whole day or two days just on moving the 10 eight. Yeah. But the fighters are training for 12 weeks or so their whole life. Really well, I'm okay with doing, doing it. So, I mean, yeah. I think judges can make that sacrifice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with doing that. And, uh, I, I definitely think that it's worth it. That is a you really know, good idea. Like, everybody at the party, uh, yeah. right. I mean like that, like really resonated with me as far as like exactly how to identify and fix the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think it's going to take a lot, uh, a lot of people getting those out there and getting and getting those type of rounds down. But yeah, I think uh, I think definitely one thing is that, that that 10-8 needed to be moved because the bottom line, that was one of our biggest problems in the sport is that, uh, you know, let's say Frank and I are fighting and I got one jab off, I would get a 10-9. And now let's say he kicked my ass on every exchange, but I was in the exchanges, but he won every exchange. I would still exactly. get a ten nine, and that's a vastly amount of a vast difference in the amount of work yeah. before we're getting the much You know,
3: that's what I told. That's actually when they first brought it up. I think Richard and I, you have talked about how first I don't think I think you're on the fence about it. Yeah, and I brought that example up exactly where I said, hey, in the first round you barely win, in the second round i smash you mm-hmm. and almost you know what I mean, but not 10 8 but clearly dominate the hell out of you and the third round we're both tired and all of a sudden you barely you know edge it out Yeah, and get now, by so one now more you want two rounds to yeah. why round one round now but everybody's upset because really drastically i won i almost finished you in one round you know
2: what i mean mm-hmm. and we've had fights that that have happened like that so that's why it had to be moved that because that was our biggest problem no.
1: Now the other the other thing that came up uh, Saturday night, uh, guys, with Bob Bennett was the, uh, the fact that the first two rounds of uh, the Wonder Boy Woodley rematch that so little happened, it was kind of debatable as to, you know, well, who should get the round? And the the debate over, well, should we just be awarding 10, 10 rounds? You know, you got oh, a
2: ten-point trust. 10 I think it should be more liberal
3: with 10-10 rounds.
2: I I, 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 don't think so. I think like if somebody does something to edge a round out, they get it. And in the way old way that the I, I think carry, if you have two guys that aren't fighting, right,
3: and you have to really kind of pick, I think if the judge sits there and goes, "Well, shit, who do I give it to?" Neither guy wanted it. There's a difference between two guys being almost equal and one guy barely edging it out. Then there's that those two opponents that are like, wow, neither one of these guys really fought this round.
2: Right. I think that's when we should be very liberal with the ten well, here, ten. Here's
3: here's what. Well, neither one of these
2: guys wanted it, so why does one guy get to win? Here, it? Here's where I differ a little bit in because I I hear. It's, first of all, if you can't see a difference, then as your content, you shouldn't just pick somebody. Right. So you should you you shouldn't guys shouldn't be crucified given a 10 round. But at the same time, you have to have that concentration. You're a professional judge. If if somebody wins a race by a hair. Right. In a horse race, they won that race. Right. If somebody wins a round by here, the judges should be that I good. I guess but, I think it should almost be kind of like a um,
3: we're not dumb. We can watch and see what a guy's doing. If you have two guys that are playing
2: it safe looking for the other guy to make a mistake, I think it's very easy and should be rewarded awarded as a 10-10. Like, I okay, think so. so. But the, here's the difference. those Neither of those rounds that In the old way the scoring criteria was done with the guidelines is the criteria would go... You weren't... Um, the way you were supposed to use them. The criteria are still weighted and prioritized. But now it's supposed to be if you get me, if you're able to make a decision using one of the criteria, you're not to move down to the others and kind of use them like as apples and oranges or use them as money, like criteria one is quarters where criteria four is dimes. You're not supposed to do that anymore. But even on those rounds, I think someone still could have won because one guy was moving forward more than the other, Right. Okay. So, And that's one of the criteria is aggression. So let's say there's no damage. Okay, then we move down to the next criteria. Who's more aggressive? Is somebody actually trying to make a fight? We can't I have a fight with without a guy moving yeah, forward. Yeah. So if somebody actually moves forward, he should get credit for that. You know what I mean? So-
0: er, can I ask a question, Herb, on another yeah. subject? Uh, the UFC fight in New York, a lot of controversy here and there. Uh, the the athletic, you know, commission, how they handled this stuff. And in particular was uh, the eye poking in the Holly home fight and did the ref do enough? My question is, is, and this might add another layer of bureaucracy, which we may not want, but. What about an, uh, an instant replay in the fact that maybe as a, a referee you can't see everything that's happening, but if somebody on the outside who's kind of like a second eye for you was like, nah, dude, she intentionally did that, she made a crazy face after, or like, yeah, we got we to gotta, gotta pull a point for that because this is the second time she's done that. Is that anything that might be interesting to you, or is that just you just want to be on your own on this one? Well, we do
2: have instant replay for uh fight ending uh fight injury ending in, uh injuries. Yes. Okay. So so if it ends the fight we're able to use instant replay. Has that always uh, been the case Herb? No, that's been it that hasn't always been the case but it's been there for quite a number of years. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure how many years but in quite a few years we've had instant replay for fight ending. Yeah. Now, the reason why we limit the fight ending because let's say I don't want to start talking uh it's it's different than other types of sports. Because it's like, okay, let's say football, after the play is done, you can go to replay and make a decision. In our sport, there's momentum. If I'm not sure if it's an eye poke and I stop it to, uh, to check a replay, now I've taken momentum away from a fighter. So I can't do that. Or what about so at the end of the for-
0: round? Like at the end of the round, where she had obviously hit—or not I poke. Sorry, it was a blatant hitting after the round. Let's say that's what everybody's saying. You know, Rogers like, oh man, you, she tagged him again. Tagged her again after th- the round.
2: But, I don't think he needed replay for that. He was right there, right?
0: Uh, but you guys stopped the round, not the belt.
2: Yeah, right. the, yeah. We, one thing a lot
3: of people didn't understand, myself yeah. included. All yes. the years I fought, well, I no, no, no. That rule. no,
2: no, 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 I don't get that. Somebody said that about us stopping around, not the bell. We stopped the action, but when the bell rings. Oh, so that's still the rule. The bell that's rings, what I thought, and I was the bell, told that I was wrong. Somebody has said that. The bell yeah. rings. We, now, you're supposed to protect yourself at all. Time. Right, but if a blow, if a blow is, let's say, okay, let's say a blow is started before the bell rings, okay. bang, boom, it hits. That's not an illegal blow. Right. But right. after a bell rings and a punch is started after, after the bell rings, there. then that punch is a foul. Oh shit! Okay, there's a rule. That I'm says, glad that's yeah, what I thought. Made it sense to because me because the, the time of combat is between. Is that five minutes? So it You're could. Like, so so let's say that that being, if somebody says, it's when the referee stops it, then. Let's say the action is going good the referee's like, hey, I don't want to mess this up. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Yeah. We can't do that. Once the bell is stopped, we're supposed to stop exactly. the okay, so, that's so, what makes
1: sense to me. So could we phrase it, Herb? Could we say then that essentially, bottom line, the fighter is responsible for hearing the bell? <laughs>
2: The fighter is definitely responsible, as we all are responsible for hearing the bell. Yeah. Now, sometimes if it's very loud in there, it's yeah. definitely hard to hear the bell. Yeah. There's times where it's so loud and sometimes the some of the bells aren't as good as others. Some of the bells, a lot of the bells aren't mic'd. And that's something that I want to come up with as a more consistent way mm. of making sure that that bell is going to be heard. Because okay. yeah. people get excited about what's going on. And sometimes if
0: it's in the heat of action... It can get so loud in there you can't yeah. hear yourself. I'm sure during those exciting fights with the crowd yeah. just going nuts.
1: Yeah. Now, all right, Herb, I'm going to ask you. I got to go uh, uh, while we have a second here. I got to go real deep on Herb Dean trivia. This is Whoa. something years ago. I made a note to ask you about if uh, I ever found myself in the conversation, and, and I guess now we are. A couple of years back, maybe more than a few years back now, I was in Sacramento, and you were referee in the fight where Cody McKenzie forgot his trunks, okay? Yes. He forgot his fight shorts. He had to send his coaches across the street to like a Dick's Sporting Goods or something, yes. and they bought him a pair of gym shorts, and about halfway through the fight, Herb, you look down, and you notice that the price tag is still on the shorts, right? Can you, can you pick it up from yeah. there and tell us what was going through your mind at that time?
2: Well, what well, was going through my mind at the times? I know that Cody's a good guy, yeah, and he's an interesting guy. And, yes, you know everybody. I like him. He marches to his own drum. Yeah, and and so when I when I when I saw that 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 tag, I was thinking, man, I don't want that because it could injure somebody. Maybe he left it because he was thinking about taking them back afterwards. And back. <laughs> the and I, didn't, I didn't want to mess that. I didn't want to mess that opportunity up for him, so I had to balance that. Sure. And I that the safety of the fighters was more important, so I decided to make an executive decision and just reach down real quick and grab the tag.
1: And it was very smooth the way you did it. One thing about Herb. Oh man, thank you,
2: thank you. Herb.
1: The thing is, Herb's got a lot of smooth movements, and I'll tell you something. This particular podcast is going to play very well in my house. Frank, I don't know if you know this, if I've ever really shared this with you or not, but uh, you know, uh, uh, my girlfriend Jennifer is around. I mean, around fighters all the time. All this kind of stuff. Obviously, has to follow the sport because I'm involved in it. You know who really? She's uh, uh, the only person she's really a huge fan of is Herb Dean.
0: I could get it. The ladies love him. She
1: and and oh, you, you shouldn't tell me that. No, listen to the point, Herb. <laughs> That there there was when I really realized it and I can't even remember who was doing the broadcast, but someone basically questioned a call that you made and she got defensive right there in the living room. She was like, Oh, oh she had oh, my back. Oh, hell no. She she's had- like oh, no brother, no, thank you. Yeah. She's like, You do not question the authority of yeah. Herb Dean. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, this will be uh, a popular one with her. Okay, well, cool. So so let's uh, remind everybody you go to HerbDean.com to get the information on uh, Herb's uh, three-day course out there in uh, California, and it's uh, judging and refereeing. And I would say it's got to, if nothing else, Herb, just improve your enjoyment of watching fights, just like, you know, uh, training jujitsu or something like that uh, can do. I think you enjoyed it a lot more after that.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. You know, um i just surprised that a lot of people come to take the course. I would think um, – it always surprised me how many people show up uh, on their weekend to talk about officiating MMA,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a good time.
1: Well, we appreciate you being on with us. People can follow you on social media. Twitter
2: is Herb Dean, right?
1: Yeah, let me give you it. Herb
2: Dean MMA is Herb on all of them.
1: Okay, on, on Twitter, all of them.
2: Instagram, and uh, Facebook. Fantastic. Herb, Herb Dean
1: MMA. MMA. Now, here's what we need to do real quick, guys. I need you guys to get together on screen, and then Sam and I are going to get together on screen on this end so I can do a screenshot, and I can use this to promote the podcast. So You come around here, Sam. Come around, and we're going to just do this live on the air. People can listen to me do it. All right, hold on. Okay, everybody stand by hold on i gotta make sure it took no this is important we gotta have an instagram picture hang on it didn't guys get back together it didn't take frank
2: hey frank get him get
1: him back in there hold on it didn't take we gotta do one more we gotta do one more get him back
3: do you want to go sideways is that better yeah we like sideways sideways were better for us
1: we got it thanks herb
3: all right. right, you going Give back to your five room, Frank? Minutes, I'm say yeah, goodbye. I'll be up in the room. I'll call you back. Got it.
1: Okay, bye. You finish the podcast. Yeah.
3: All
1: right. All right. So fast forward uh, 15 minutes or so, Sam. You and I are still in your hotel room yes. in the stratosphere, and Frank Mir is in bed. Yes, uh, that's how
0: we like it.
1: Yeah, we're. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is this is sort of oddly homoerotic. Now, <laughs> that's how Frank's we like us, it. Frank's giving us the full body shot. Don't We're, worry, he's wearing the uh, phone booth fighting T-shirt, which is great. You're promoting I love over it. there, Frank. Yeah. I love wearing my own nice.
0: T-shirt. I love wearing my own T-shirt. I don't care. I wear it anytime, all the time. Well,
1: tell, hey, Frank, tell uh, tell Sam your story about how the phone booth fighting T-shirt is like the first shirt that you've ever worn that's had your likeness on it, right? It
3: actually is. I actually had a clothing company before, and a couple of the shirts had my uh, different images of me, you know, after fights, screaming and going crazy. And, you know, a lot of fans liked it. It was kind of a crazy-looking pose. But uh, I never wore them, and you know, I just thought they'd be kind of a douchey to wear your own uh, fight shirt, right? So then uh, one time, um, I'm running to the gym, and you always take multiple shirts with you, so you can change it to a dry one, you're working out, whatever the case would be. And I yelled to my wife, you know, hey, babe, you know, you know, can you go in the closet real quick? I forgot to grab a T-shirt, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, she runs into the room. She's upstairs, and she runs down, and the upstairs had, like, a, a loft area where I can look up at her at the bottom of the stairs, and she tosses me a T-shirt. I, I grab it, and I look at it, and it's one of my Suffer T-shirts with my face <laughs> very yeah. obviously it's me on the shirt, right? Yeah. I'm like, babe, I can't wear this. She goes, why not? I'm like, okay, love. Imagine that on the way home, some horrific accident occurs. I'm smashing a car. Here they come, (laughs) fire department, jaws of life. They're ripping me out of the vehicle. And the first thing the rescue crew sees is that they look down at my shirt. They look up at me. They look down at the shirt. They're like, is this douchebag wearing a shirt with his face on it? (laughs) I just don't want them to be the last words that I hear before I pass
0: on to the hereafter. you after go into already. that sweet night.
1: Well, I think that uh, I think that speaks well of our uh, line of phone booth fighting T-shirts. Then that even Frank Mir with those exacting standards uh, deems uh, our our I, podcast shirt. It's because you're on it, man. Oh, okay. That's I, like I like the that. I like
3: that. and you're yeah. on it. I feel much better promoting our show. Yeah. I feel like it's a little less egotistical because even our show isn't really about me talking about myself. Yeah, it's us, you know, our opinions on other people, what they're doing, and you know, and, and talking and debating and you know, uh, you know, solving the world's problems one conversation at a time.
0: Yeah, I, um, I would, I always remember like because I used to think that too. I'd never wear my own shirt, and I'm like, ugh. And then I remember seeing Joe Rogan. At one of the weigh-ins, with a Run JRE shirt on, yeah. And I've seen him do it a couple times with uh, companies he owns and stuff like that. So I'm like, even though I'm not on Joe Rogan's level, but I'm like, self. I I just think we live in a world where it's like you have to promote wherever you can. Like I shot a TV show this week. They followed me around every time I would performed. I had one of my podcast T-shirts on. Yeah. So when they ran when it when they edited it together. People might see go, oh, what is that? Uh, Tin foil hat podcast yeah. and stuff like that. Well, a
1: lot of people don't know this, but when Frank does interviews now, when we started the podcast, we've been doing this a little over a year now, and when Frank was doing interviews uh, on, on other shows. He was not accustomed to promoting the podcast, so he wasn't saying Phone Booth Fighting. You know, he'd go, oh, my podcast. And I kept saying, you know, no, Frank, you want to say the name Phone Booth Fighting so they can find it. So we actually went through a period where I uh, put a little shock collar on him. I like and it. And i zap him every time, time we got yeah, missed. Yeah, and, and we actually uh, we got it worked out that way because you don't miss a beat now, Frank. You always say Phone Booth yeah. Fighting. We're great. Well,
3: you know, that doesn't come easy to me. You know, and, and yeah. some guys, I mean, that does come easy yeah and you know at times
0: what is promoting your shot collars well
3: no, there's those guys that yeah. no matter what you know they strive for success they want to be recognized and yeah. they don't care about their own ego they don't care about anything they they you know at the end of the day you could think they're a fool whatever but they're willing to walk up talk and sell and pitch and sail and uh no, you know, just what, you, you, you know that self-promoting like there's a certain kind of individual that's willing to just go ahead and no matter what look the fool even yeah in extreme cases to just self-promote and i don't have that and i've had a very difficult time trying to convert over with the, you know our modern era of social media i mean uh, richard's really I know, understand and my wife that. yeah they basically you know kicking and screaming i've, I've tried to recognize it. it's like it's like anything else. It's like doing cardio as a fighter. It's things you don't like to do, but you re, you know, you realize it's you know, hey, uh, I do love to do this. I love talking. I love meeting people, but the self promoting part I don't love. But you know, that's just a requirement that I have to uh, accept.
0: You know, I would uh, never tell the champ anything. You know, he, you've done uh, an amazing job in your life. But I, I'm the same way with when asking people to do my podcast or help me promote my I I eat a big I my ego won't let me do that where I have friends of mine in, within the co- comedy community who have no problem with walking up to anybody going yeah. do my podcast do my and just harassing yeah. them yeah. and they get these guys on their podcast and their numbers explode right. whereas I don't yeah. want to bother anybody so over time I've just learned I got to eat my ego up and it, It's okay if people say no or maybe a couple people are like, oh, that's so stupid. I have to be like, dude, just do it because that's what a lot of people are doing in this crazy environment that we're in. I don't know if it's ego, but there's like that. If you're a courteous individual and
3: you might not want to bother somebody, which you strike me more as that's a a courteous thing. Like, well, you know, I don't want to abuse our friendship. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take advantage of. And it's crazy. Like you just pointed out, I have witnessed in my life people that are less talented have less skill less ability be extremely successful even more so than those individuals that are better than they are because they're willing to walk up and and just they push themselves Hey, call me hey they're that guy and i and and i am not naturally at
0: all no that sounds like you're not either you know no i'm not and i like i'm not i have a friend of mine I've always said if I make it to whatever make it is, because, you know, I'm a touring national comedian. I pay my bills off my comedy and my podcast. I, I'm, I'm very happy with who I am. But I always say if I make it, whatever that is, I want to put out a book. that lets you know every little part of how to make it within show business. And mm-hmm. one of them I want to interview my friend. Dean Del Rey, who just oh, I know is, Dean. Yeah, yeah, it has yeah. no problem I watch him do it and I yeah. and this is with all love and respect asking for people to help him yeah. whether take him on the road or do his podcast and I've seen it pay off with him and he's a very funny comic so yeah. you know I, Whereas I just don't want to bother people.
1: And I also think too, though, that, that regardless of which type of personality you are, I think the the common denominator though, is if you're genuine, people see that they appreciate it versus if you're, if you're superficial, like if you're, if I guys, yeah, keep flowing, but I'm about
3: to talk to the wife. Hold on a second. If I put it on mute and I don't answer you.
1: Yeah, that works. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Frank's going to take just one second to uh, call his wife. Oh, he hasn't. I'm on the podcast. It. I don't think don't, he's figured out uh, how to mute it. Right yeah, he doesn't know how to mute. No. This I will tell you, uh, Sam. Really? Of the two of us, I typically handle the right any not, right. responsibilities that have to do with technology. I get it. I wish reason. I
0: had somebody like you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I have to learn as I'm going. Yeah. Like just you telling me, oh, put the microphone yes. in. Yes. To listen, I'm like that was such a work for me, and I don't yeah. want to do. It. I just want to record and throw yes. it up. But I'm realizing I can't do that. So you just tell me, just put in there and listen. Right. I'm not going to do that on my podcast. To,
1: to, yeah, to monitor your yeah. own
0: audio to like make sure everybody's I, I talking I have to learn how, how to edit the audio right, right. just to put at the beginning of yeah. my podcast. And I'm just, yeah. I don't
1: yeah. want to do that. It's important. See, like, right. So, for example, right now, Frank thinks he's muted the phone. He hasn't, of course. So we're hearing him. If yes. he were to say anything that he wouldn't want on the podcast, yes. he doesn't know how to edit it out. Yes. Sorry, guys, so I, I have to I go. I have to go back in and, and cut it out for him. I'm, I am feel a certain responsibility I to respect do that. that. Yeah, I look out for him uh, that way. You know, uh, he yeah.
0: brings the UFC gold, you bring the editing skills, and together you guys are a beautiful couple of Now,
1: Sam, your uh, – po- oh, I think he figured out how to mute it. That's oh, good. Oh, good, 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 He may just, just be doing it the old-fashioned way and putting just his covering big the gigantic thumb over the yeah. uh, the microphone thing. Yeah, 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 thing. yeah.
0: Frank does have,
1: have – Gar- like gargantuan uh, uh uh like uh extremities dude he like,
0: at one point was the baddest man on the planet
1: yeah, yeah. that means something it, it certainly does i yeah.
0: mean like think about that six billion people probably could throw anybody in there and he would could have beat them. that is unbelievable
1: yeah the thing you know uh, uh adam carolla uh had uh frank on his uh podcast uh, last year, uh, Adam came out and did a live show here at Treasure Island, and Frank was his, his on stage guest, and he did a great bit. He uh, he put up, uh, uh, of course, they're in the Treasure Island theater, so they got the big screen behind him and everything, and he put up this image of uh, Frank tapping out Brock Lesnar, right. And he's like, you know, he kind of sets it up for the people in the crowd that, you know, weren't already in the know. He's like, just to put this picture in the frame, you know, let's talk about this monster that he, bait, not only did he beat him, he made him give up, right? And so Frank uh, uh, Adam said, uh, you know, if I were Frank, you Frank I would be taking this picture around like everywhere, and next time they give me a hassle about the 30-day return policy, yeah. i just be like, you know, I get it, you have a policy, but let me show you this photo, and do you really want to be a stickler for that? I you know? sometimes
0: see, oh, see women, and I know MMA and training is not the same as being a naturally beautiful woman because I'm sure there's work to it. I'm not trying to take anything yeah. away from that. But it's boring, in, MMA people. is the
1: other lady in my life, but yeah. go ahead, yeah. But
0: but it's like sometimes you see women; they take these pictures, they put on social media, and they're so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I would just hold on to that and let all your grandchildren know yeah. how badass grandma was. At oh one point. yeah,
1: yeah, 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 that's true. You know, no, just like how
0: amazingly yeah. hot. Yeah well to it let's do this let's uh uh
1: well let's mention your your shows uh while we're waiting for frank to come back because uh as i said we're here at the stratosphere uh we, i got to do naked a, city yes i got to do a guest set uh with you last night great thanks man i appreciate that you're you were here great. through sunday i'm here so through sunday. uh two shows friday two shows saturday and then sunday are you back frank i am okay Sorry, guys. good good that's I, no okay problem, no problem that's okay all right uh, so uh, Frank, I was just getting to the point where I thought we talked to Sam a little bit about his shows because uh, it's always good for us to compare notes with other successful podcasters. Sam, you have uh, uh, you you've got two podcasts that I I listen to. You've got uh, Tinfoil Hat, yep. and you've got uh, Safe Space, yep. Okay, so those are the two. Shows yeah, you Safe Space on. is a
0: rant podcast. I do. I like the rant. It helps me write material. Yeah, and Tinfoil Hat is a conspiracy podcast. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I do podcasts about things. I enjoy sports yeah, and the and, and conspiracies and the conspiracy podcast is really going a lot better than I thought it was do yeah. a lot quicker. I've already gotten bigger names than I ever thought I would get this quickly on it. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to talk about this stuff and not get an Alex Jones serious and nothing against Alex Jones, but yeah. I just enjoy the discussion of it. So it's like, I always say, do the people always start podcasts. I go Whatever you're going to do about your – whatever your podcast is about, just know that you have to be willing to be able to talk about that subject 100 episodes from now, Mm -hmm. 200 Mm -hmm. episodes from now. Three – you know, it's like you got to be able to take this thing for a long ride.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Frank, uh, I mean, you and I have talked before about the fact that, uh, you know, talking fights comes naturally. That seems to be a given. But it always amazes us that some of the episodes that we do that turn into, you know, three-hour-long marathons deep into the night about any variety of random subjects sometimes are our most downloaded episodes. I know that was a big surprise to you when we first started seeing those numbers, right? Well, not
3: even just a surprise, uh, an actual worry. I was worried that, you know, we were rifting on subjects and, you know, people tune in and... And come on to us because we're an MMA uh, podcast. Yeah, here I think I'm like, oh shit! You know, we're talking religion, we're talking politics, we're gonna upset people. Yeah, um, upset a majority of our fan base, and it turned out to be not the case.
0: The mistake that I made when I first started doing podcasts is I would just get right into what I wanted to talk about. And what I learned was that the podcasts that do the best are the ones where you give a little piece of yourself, and that people don't necessarily tune in so much for uh, what uh, you're talking about, fights. They're really tuning in for you yeah. and your life and your experiences talking about that stuff because there's a million basketball podcasts, right? right? I love basketball. There's a million basketball podcasts, but there's certain ones I listen to because I like those people who are talking yes, about it. Yes, so, yes. So like, on any podcast I do, I have a sports podcast called Punch Drunk Sports For the first 30 minutes, we just talk about our lives, Mm -hmm. what's going on. People want that. They want to become emotionally invested into you. Then they want to get down to what was UFC 209 like? What was the NCAA basketball uh, tournament like? That's what they want to know. They want to get a little bit more of your – Piece of your soul and they emotionally invest in you, then they go into everything else.
1: I think that makes sense because I, I shared with Frank when we first started doing this, you know, Frank's the only partner I've ever had. I've yeah. I've worked in radio, gosh, probably 15 years at this point, but I always did solo shows. He's, this is the first ever two-man operation I've ever been a part of, and it, it's worked out fabulously, but I think it's because uh, Frank has really great instincts when it comes to this stuff, but one of the things that I shared with him is is a a primary goal i always have to your the point you just made sam is that what i want a listener to do is when they see a story in the news all right when they see a headline i want them through their familiarity with my content to immediately associate me with that story that i actually don't have anything to do with i want them to see the headline go ooh, I wonder what Richard and Frank are going to say yeah. about this. Now they have to tune in and, and I love when
0: we get tweets like that. Yeah. We're like, oh, I can't wait to hear Punstrung talk about UFC 209. I can't right. wait. You're like,
1: oh, that's really great. So what you've taken is a broad, general topic, and you've made it specific to yourself when, in reality, you didn't primarily even have anything to do with
0: it. And, and that's why they want to hear about Frank Meir talking about movies, Frank Meir talking about you know, being a dad and all politics. Because, you know, it's not really about MMA. It's like we want Frank Mir, we want Richard Hunter, and we want to hear your guys's take on everything because that's what it's all about yeah
1: well that's definitely what we do and that's definitely how I think we've uh, we've built a lot of uh, loyal listeners what are what do you I'm just interested since we have a third party involved here Frank and uh, Sam has a lot of background in uh, podcasting I mean you and I talk amongst ourselves a lot about our podcast but uh, off the top of your head what are some specific thoughts or observations or questions you have about Podcasting, now that we're a year and some change into this,
3: um you know, one thing that I've actually been worried about uh, of late
1: is that sometimes
3: I notice that I'll repeat stories, things that I feel like we've already spoken about, or mm. even like rehashing an opinion on an idea that was already covered. Yeah. And I wonder at times, like half of me goes, well, we always have new listeners and not necessarily go back. Um, you know, but at the same time, I wonder if it's going to be like, ah, oh, come on guys, you've already talked about this. We know your opinion on, you know, on whatever subject that, you know, I'm discussing mm-hmm. and if it's going to ever, you know, uh, uh, you know, turn people off. So I guess that's my thought. And I wonder what your experience with it is, Sam is, is if, uh, as far as do you make sure that always your, uh, material on different concepts or different thoughts is always, uh, new. Or are there times that you do rehash old stories and old Uh, thoughts on certain topics? That's a
0: great question, and I I battle with that all the time myself. But what I've learned is that, like, my girlfriend, when I do stand-up comedy, she begs me to do certain jokes again. Please do this joke. I'm like, no, ma'am, nobody wants to hear it anymore. I did it. It's on my CD. She's like, but most people don't care. They like to hear these stories. So I think it's like, I think... If you put out a story, are you going to get a couple people going already heard it? Yeah, that's just you, you're never going to get anybody to agree on anything mm-hmm. except for that one movie about black people and white. What was that movie that just came out with the black guy goes visits his white girls girlfriend uh get out i think it's called get out it's the first time a rotten tomatoes movie ever got a hundred percent like it's like that's literally the only thing anyone's ever agreed on oh, but everybody okay. else yeah everybody else you're gonna have a couple people complaining here and there i think it's okay if you t- retell a story here and there you don't want to make it every week but yeah. i do that all the time I'm like oh did i already talk about this and sometimes i'll just preface it begun i might have already said this but you know there was this time i did uh you know i did this 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 and this and i think it's okay Okay cuz again it's more people wanna pretend like they're in the room. Yeah. That your listeners is they're right there sitting on my completely filthy bed that housekeeping hasn't cleaned in literally 3 days. So they, yeah. they want to like they're sitting on that bed listening to us have a conversation and so you've hung out with your buddies and they've told the same story a couple times in a row. Yeah. So it's okay. I don't think I don't think people are expecting perfection you know if it was yeah. a national television show you have staff writers they may be we already talked about that
1: i also think well, i i going to say real quick i think it's a fine line because i think what happens is sure you do not want to be known as as you know repetitious or derivative but there are some classic stories, yes, that because listeners uh you know hardcore listeners invest in you in the long run, that chances are if they've heard all whatever we're up to hundred and eight or so episodes, if they've heard a story all the way back at episode twenty. Yeah, they may have heard it before, but it's been the better part of a year since they've heard it. Yeah. And Sam's on the show. So when Frank – because, for example, Frank's told the story about that that T-shirt with his face on it before, okay? But it's been a long time. But Sam wasn't here last time. So probably if I were to put myself in that hardcore listener's position, I would think – Oh, I'm gonna see what this guy's reaction yeah. to that is. You know, so there's something new introduced to the conversation, perhaps.
0: I think friendship and friendships. You guys talk about the same stuff over and over again, yeah. and I don't think people get that angry because. That's what friends do. Sometimes your buddy tells the same story over and over again.
1: Speaking of uh, repeating something, I'll uh, repeat a pledge that that I have offered to Frank in the past because he just, uh, uh, Sam just reminded me, Frankie, you can't see this because it's uh, behind the camera that we're FaceTiming on. But uh, Sam did just uh, point out to his uh, filthy hotel bed. And very uh, conspicuously laid out on there, Frank, is his uh, uh, leather belt that looks like it might just be fresh off a tour of duty of uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. Hey, dog. So I'm not asking any questions. What happens but, in Vegas, stays in Vegas. But Frank has, uh, Frank has asked me in the past that uh, if, if I were to ever find him in the Dar- David Carradine predicament to just cut him down. You know you've right? done
0: greatness when— when you have a sex position named after you.
1: Well, here's the thing. He said, "You know, would you be a friend and cut him down?" I said, "No, I'm the kind of friend." He said, "He said, would you cut me down and pull my pants up before you call anybody?" I said, "No, I'm stringing you up and pulling your pants down. Yeah. If I just find you uh, dead of natural causes. Well, Frank, right? I'm
0: not a weird dude, but I would be willing to spot you if you need a spotter when this is happening, <laughs> so that you know when your eyes roll, I know. Ah, oh, time to pick him up. <laughs> I don't is, even want to get to that place
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: that's how I am yeah dude everybody get weird I think podcasting is interesting I learn so much as I go some people just hit and it just goes and for me I just learn little little things and I also start to realize that as the internet gets bigger and bigger and people get away from corporate entertainment they start getting into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. that they're enjoying more of my stuff Yeah, my, my you know it's like these guys from the TV show They came and recorded me. They're like, you like to do war stories about your life, you know, being in high speed police chase with police helicopters and all that stuff. Like, I enjoy talking about that because I think that's what everybody experiences more and more, like real crazy stuff. And I think there's a more and more of a market for that, that the more honest you are on your podcast, the more people appreciate that.
1: It was great uh, doing a guest set in front of Sam last night, Frank, because, uh, I said, uh, you know, we were having a little kind of get to know you in the dressing room and everything. And uh, I, you know, guest sets are always kind of weird for me because, um, you know, you, you've got a very limited amount of time and uh, there's not a lot of time to like set the table, so to speak. And so Sam kind of gave me the green light to just go out there and do my worst. I and, prefer uh, it. Yeah. I, I, I just fired like five of my edgiest things i could think of in fact we're sitting at dinner and i'm i'm like trying to do all this deconstruct and you know a deconstruction and sort of analysis of the set and everything and sam just looks at me and he's like dude you opened with a jesus joke yeah like that's that kind yeah. of set the tone. you know
0: the thing i love about joe rogan was back in the day he would go out with joey diaz and and Ari Shafir opening for him. And yeah, I always I saw thought those shows, that yeah. was amazing because yeah. when he walked on stage, there was nothing that was taboo at that point. Yeah. Nothing that he would say would get them shocked. Yeah. So he kind of cleared that up. Whereas sometimes I go on the road and because they, these comedy clubs, they have to work these really strong features with somebody. They'll put them with me. And I don't mind it, but they don't fit my act. Yeah. So, yeah. so this guy, I get a lot of urban acts. I play the, the Tampa Improv, and it's one of my favorite clubs. But they tend to put me with very urban acts, and I love those guys. And. They just want to work. So I'm like, okay, but it doesn't fit what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have you and Brand Tobler telling your sick kind of twisted jokes. So when I, and even if I'm not as sick and twisted as that, maybe I am, maybe I aren't, I can say whatever I want to without them going, oh, wrong hole on me, you know? Yeah, and yeah. It just enjoying the show. And I can just kind of be myself. I'd much rather have you going up there doing your craziness. That's why I'm like next time I come through you want to open while I'm feature do it
1: dude. I'm in. I'm in. I tell you what Frank, I I knew I was going to I was in front of the right crowd last night because I actually after that first uh, the 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 Jesus joke opener, I was prepared to do a little tag of, you know, if I got a groan from the crowd, do a little tag of, you know, hey, that's just the opener. It's going to be a rough couple of minutes or something like that.
0: And I didn't get that from the no, crowd. It was great. like, oh,
1: they're with me. They're okay, great. They're with me. Some people,
0: yeah. there like thirty people in the crowd, and everyone's like, small crowd. It's like I've been at the OR and I've watched the Masters, Paul Mooney, Jimmy Schubert do entertain two people and destroy them for forty-five minutes, and some people are like that's weird. No, but. That's what you do, and sometimes those smaller crowds are are actually more fun. Uh, my dream is to get so big that I can play thirty people; they each pay a thousand dollars to see it. me, yeah. and that's just what I can do. Yeah. It's a lot more fun. Uh, I, I just I just think that you were great, and you know, for whoever came and saw me, whether they clicked on the website and actually yeah. saw what my act was and came, you were perfect for it. And you know, it's so funny watching you. You actually gave me kind of the green light to go. Just go up there and do your thing. Stop overthinking it.
1: Yeah, because yeah. sometimes oh, I'll overanalyze yeah. Yeah. my
0: shit and be like, "Oh, I don't know if I should do this." And you were you, you know, you opened up, you did your shit, and it, it was a lot of fun to watch somebody just working freely. Oh, well, thanks,
1: man. Well, listen, lest you think, Sam, that this is just a conversation between two comedians and the uh, the the MMA fighters, the odd man out frank Meir himself is a veteran of the stand-up yeah, comedy tell me that frank uh tell sam about your uh experience uh the the only one so far but i'm sure the sophomore effort is coming in 2017 about uh living your lifelong dream to do stand-up
3: yeah it was always something i've always wanted to do just because i've always admired and i and i enjoy comedy very much and so uh i told uh, richard that, that was kind of like one of my uh you know, uh, pipe dreams like, hey, you know, one time I would like to jump up there on stage and, and try. So he's like, well, let's do it. And I'm like, oh, man. All right. Well, you know, I've never been one to back down from a challenge. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's funny because he's like, you know, put some stuff together. So I, I spent a better part of a day or two, you know, writing down notes, different ideas I had. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to, you know, be, you know, good at it. You know, I don't really like to do anything and, and, and suck. So, uh, I remember he came over, he's like, okay, let's work on what you got. And I showed him, you know, and I probably had about 90 bits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was the first thing he had said to me was like, you know what? It's a good thing, but uh, you're going to have to work on the same thing I have to work on. uh, But uh, you need to edit. I'm like, okay, okay, I got to break this down. So to what? He goes, "Um, you're going to pick five. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, so um, that actually was, uh, you know, a surprise on how much that I had to actually uh, uh, condense my ideas down to just five, you know, parts. And then on top of that, I speak with so many words. I'm so long winded and, and wordy that that killed me. I was sitting there, you know, I like, "All right, you know, you're a, you know, I was talking about a part where I had to first explain that I'm a bouncer in Las Vegas. It took me forever to say it the correct way, at first I'm like, okay, I don't know if you guys know this, but I used to work as a, as a bouncer in a Las Vegas strip club called the Spearman Rhino. He goes, okay, all you got to say is I was a bouncer in a club. And then I was like, okay. So, guys, I was a bouncer in Las Vegas at the Spearman Rhino, and, and the whole situation See, it took probably about 15 times for me to... To, to condense down and be efficient with just a few words. That is
0: the whole thing. And I, I, I do this Kill Tony podcast, and we always talk to young comedians. The biggest thing I say is, like, the only thing you have to do is give them enough information to understand your punchline that's yeah, it yeah. so if you're like oh man you know it's kind of long lines of what you're saying like oh I, I was driving this 1978 chevette and it was a you know the bumper didn't fall and you're like they don't need all that they need i used to drive a piece of shit car now you've set it up yeah no like, that's right you know yeah. it's like i used to drive a piece of shit car and uh, i drove up to get it uh, i used to have a great joke about how i tried to get my car smog checked yeah and they were like do you have the title i'm like no they're like we can't do it i'm like why am i stole am i smog checking a a stolen car <laughs> yeah, right. am i the environmentally protective carjacker is yeah. that what you're saying like and i could have gone into the detail of how much right. of a piece of shit this car is yeah. but it's not per- pertinent to understanding the punchline. there's
1: also an important point about that particular example and it's this when you say you've got a piece of shit car Virtually everybody in the audience can relate to that because they've had one, but they're imagining their own version of what that was. If you specify the year and the make and the model, now you're kind of excluding me because you're separating me from the vision I had. 100%. Yeah. 100%.
0: And that's just comedy, man. And, you know, Frank, it's like we were talking last night about Brandon Schaub and how there are some guys who I think are athletes that. You know, there's a couple ex-football players that do stamp in L.A. And I always say they do really well because they understand the importance of grinding and putting in the work and doing stuff that maybe isn't exciting. So, you know, if you did it once, you should try to do it again because, you you know, Brandon Schaub is making a lot of money doing these one-nighters now doing his show, whether it's Big Brown Breakdown or yeah. doing stand-up with Cal and that there's money to be made. And if you have some simple skills, it would be amazing how, like, being a famous guy can carry you really far. But if you have the basic skills of joke writing, it will go, it will, you could go pretty far with that and make yeah. a good amount of money. Show up somewhere, make 10 grand, 15 grand for just telling some well-crafted dick jokes. And it's yeah. like, you'd be amazed.
1: <laughs> well, and you know what, Frank? It's kind of like, I mean, uh, uh, boxing historians will know this, but you know, there used to be an old model back during like vaudeville and stuff like that where retired champions like Jack Dempsey, guys like that, would actually do live theater where they would just kind of sit there and they'd tell some stories, some funny stories, things like that people would pay to see that that's that's one of the reasons why we have really endeavored to start doing a lot more of these live shows i
0: saw mike tyson's one man oh, show yeah
1: yeah yeah amazing that's what i've heard it was yeah.
0: amazing he was yeah. so good at it they whoever did that, i know spike lee yeah was perfect it was a great thing to go he, I'm yeah i'm sure he made a night it was a nice cash flow for him yeah and there's nothing wrong with it you could fly in do one night sell a the theater get in get out you know i always break stand up pay excuse me down to sex worker money yeah you know okay oh i I did a gig fifteen dollars that's crack whore money okay oh yeah yeah and then i've done gigs where i've shown up there used to be a beecher's madhouse at the hard rock casino way back in the day and they'd have me do 10 minutes and i'd make twenty five hundred dollars and i'm like that's high-end escort (laughs) money (laughs) that is and that's how you fucking break it down and there is a lot of high-end escort money out there to be made in stand-up, if you just put a little tweak in here and a little tweak in there, and you, it, it would be real. And then you just put out CDs or hour specials, and people just want to support you. And we were kind of talking about how I feel like thanks to social media, there's going to be less, less one-hit wonders out there Yeah. because these guys are going to be able to stay connected with their fan base over time.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's true. And the the uh, the sex worker hierarchy analogy is uh, definitely something that resonates with me. I, Frank and I, we did the uh, the suspended show with uh, chill Sonnen and his co-host Joel uh, here a couple of weeks ago. I was telling a story on stage and this had, this had, true story just happened to me earlier that day. I was picking two hookers up from the airport. And normally we, we have them carpool together, right? So we don't make two trips back and forth from, from the brothel, but these two particular ones, I couldn't ride in the same car together because one of them had started a rumor about the other one that she was offering anal for $300 uh, and it wasn't true, uh, but uh, she had circulated the rumor and she, shit. She, she was being shunned for it. Not because of what she was doing, but because of how cheaply she was doing it. She was undercutting the other.
0: She was, dude. She was lowering the market. That's
1: right. She was and affecting everybody's money. You gotta have a money. flat
0: rate for anal. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you go below that, it's really gonna ruin everything. It's yep. so interesting, dude. Yep, you do. It's Frank, so- What's what's
1: happening over there? I know we're gonna. We we should probably let you get to bed soon because yeah. you've got a big. We'll uh, a I, I, how many fights are you calling tomorrow? Twenty seven there yeah there's a, quite a few fights like i mentioned
3: but the good thing is that uh carl prince the matchmaker yes. princey is going to call at least i think about uh, eight of them okay. so that way i'm not well uh, i just want to say I, frank I to bring up that issue that i mean come on guys i got to be kind of excited and motivated every time i'm talking about every fight yeah, yeah. i don't know anybody Do you study that, uh, each of
0: the fighters so 28 matches two fighters each are you studying like 56 fighters and their tendencies and how they like to fight i mean is that what you're doing well i get an idea
3: of it and i'll watch a fight of each guy and then because a lot of these guys have already seen fight before it actually helps out Mm. as far as uh studying them and looking at them um the person honestly that uh that does the grunt of the work is the play-by-play guy um brian lacy yeah brian lacy um who's also stand-up comic who's actually fought an mma fight um in all reality, he does a lot of work because he has to know, you know, what gym they train at, you know, what they've been doing differently in their training session, who they train with, what they want to do, where they're past, their whole history. He has to know the, all the, uh, the nuts and bolts of the facts of the, the, who they are and what they are. So with that information, he can ask me, okay, so this guy changed gyms, you know, you know, what's that going to do? So then at that point, because of all my experience in the world of martial arts over the years, the why is extremely easy for me because I know the whys. So uh, it, it, like I said, in all reality, uh, most of the grunt work is done by the, uh, the other guy. Uh, again, me as the color guy, I'm, uh, so it's a double-edged sword, I guess. In one instance, it's impossible for you to do my job if you don't come from my experience and from my background. And the other, uh, once you have that, um, you're able to pretty much, uh, you know, uh, do an easy job at it.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, well I, I just want to say, Frank, I really appreciate you guys putting me on your yeah. podcast. I've always, I've kn- I met you a long time ago yep. in Addison and I've been following you since. And i uh, Frank, I've always been a giant fan of yours, uh, I really pre- I've been watching uh, UFC since the beginning and, you know, to see you uh, rise and then, you know, your accident and then see you come back and get back to the top. It was a real honor to watch you fight and I really appreciate you guys letting me come on your podcast.
1: Absolutely, man. Well, a uh, 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 reminder that uh, everybody can find you online. Of course, the uh, the, the podcast, Tinfoil Hat <laughs> yeah. and uh, Safe Space. I have and a double disc, media. Where a double yeah. album yeah. coming
0: out, drops next week. Friday called uh, The Diabolicals, a two-album CD. The first album's me crushing it in Sacramento. The second album is called Friday Night Late Show, mm-hmm. and it's about how the second show uh, on Friday was so sloppy I couldn't even do an act, and I just had to go to war with this crowd and just start wow. ripping people new assholes. Okay. So that's the I second like that. disc. Yeah. It drops next week, and then I'm in the movie Dying Laughing, which is you have to watch if you're a stand-up comic. You have to watch it. It's the Alpha and Omega of stand-up docs, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, G- Gary Shandling, and it, uh, Billy Conley. It goes on and on, and I was blessed to be featured in pretty prominently. And uh, is so that out now? It's out. It's okay. it was in theaters. Now it's in. Uh, it's on all iTunes. your video yeah. I- yeah. iTunes, Google Play, Amazon right. uh, videos, whatever. Uh, if you watch it and you're a comic, you'll probably end up crying because it's so amazing how they shot it. So I really again appreciate you guys. Having me on this podcast I, I I'm really big fans no, of both of you so thank you it's our
1: pleasure and social media Sam Triple Sam
0: Tripley across the board
1: pretty much everywhere
0: all right uh,
1: you can follow us on social media he at uh, the Frank Mir on Twitter and Instagram official Frank Mir on Facebook I am Richard Hunter on Twitter and Instagram an official Richard Hunter on Facebook Frank tell everybody how they can find the show on social media and specifically how they can follow us on snapchat because Frank has taken over the the phone booth fighting snapchat uh and he's he's uh just snapping away from over there in manchester england so uh, lay it on him frank
3: if you want to find us oh real quick how am i doing with the snapchat any uh, uh, you know what
1: further? i consulted uh uh jennifer who is uh in my house the resident snapchat expert and she says it's fantastic she says you're doing really? a great job yeah yeah okay awesome carry on
0: um, carry on young man so, on. so so what do uh, we got facebook And
3: Instagram, you can find us at Phone Booth Fighting. If you're into Snapchat and Twitter, you can find us at Phone Booth Fight.
1: For Frank Mir and for the hilarious Sam Tripoli. I'm Richard Hunter and we'll see you next time right here on on Phone Booth Fighting.
3: Everybody was calling for they fought with-